We're continuing in this series we've called Enough out of the book of Colossians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some new Christians, new believers who are battling false false teaching and and uh, misguided uh, instructors that were coming their way. To do this, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 today, starting at verse 2. If you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find that on your tablet, smartphone, or in a paper Bible. We use the New Living Translation here. But before I get into any of that, I need to talk to you about cats and dogs. Because in this room, we have some cat people and we have dog people. And... uh If you have both a cat and a dog, you still have a favorite. You tolerate one and you love the other. And to you who have reptiles, birds, rodents, farm animals, digital creatures, I can't help you with your life choices. (laughs) And this discussion might not fit. But as you know, there's a big difference between dogs and cats. In fact, I've got a picture here that illustrates it quite well. (laughs) It's not on it. The dog is just happy to see you. The cat is perpetually annoyed. A, A dog, a dog has a purpose. He's loyal to his owner. And um, he sees the, the owner as a master and provider and, and, and really wants to serve the master, right? The owner. The purpose is to be your best friend no matter what. Cats have a totally different purpose. Their purpose is to be served, waited on, catered to. They, you are their butler, servant, staff, uh, resident annoyance. That's, that's what you are to a cat. Cats are not like dogs. Their purpose is to serve themselves or to be served by you. Both pets fulfill their purpose. The cat for his own benefit, the dog for your benefit. Now what does this have to do with Colossians chapter 4? How are we going to tie this together? Well, it's about purpose, specifically about our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. We are, we are to be much more like the dog than the cat. We don't exist to fulfill and serve our own purpose. We don't exist for Jesus to serve us. We have a purpose to serve, to meet the, to, to, to meet the ministry or the calling, the direction of our master, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God our Father, Jesus the Savior, and our Comforter, the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus left this earth, he left us with with a promise to send the Holy Spirit and with with an instruction. He said this to his followers. I've got this on the screen. You may know it well. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 18. Jesus said this, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I will be with you. Always. Even to the end of the age. It's a promise from Jesus. 
But that passage, that instruction, those words mean that you have a mission, a purpose to fulfill, and that is to make disciples in every people group around the world. That video we just watched uh, was filmed in Thailand. Some of those faces you may have, have recognized the folks in there. There's some missionaries that we support that were in those some of those um, parts of that video. We're to make disciples, which means we're to, to teach them to obey what Jesus taught. Not, not teach information about the Bible, not create Bible experts, not, not create doctrinal superstars, people who obey Jesus. Baptized Jesus following believers. We're to be like the happy dog who loves to please the master and is just thrilled to be in the relationship with the Lord. But if you're anything like me, you can easily be like the cat. Looking to the Savior as the one who ought to serve us and cater to us provide for us and meet all our desires. Wouldn't it be great if we could just get past our fear and our secure insecurities? Wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, we could, we could get to the point of actually doing what Jesus said we ought to do and make disciples. The simple way we say that around here is that, that we are, we have a purpose as Bethany Church. Our purpose is to make Christ Jesus known from our communities to the world. To, for someone to learn to hear and obey and follow Jesus, they need to hear about him first. He needs to be made known to them. And that's where it starts. No one can follow Jesus without knowing who he is. And so this is passage here in Colossians chapter 4 is going to give us some hints on how to do that. And so uh, we're going to read beginning at verse 2. Uh, it's a short passage, verses 2 to 6. And it's our habit here in our practice to stand for the reading of God's word. And so I invite you to do that with me. Colossians chapter 4 beginning at verse 2. Paul writes this, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. This is the first point in the letter which Paul explicitly states that he is actually in prison. He's he's in chains. He's in in a cell somewhere in Rome and writing these words. Now, in the course of this letter, the Apostle Paul has taken us through a number of very, very important things. The sufficiency of Christ the 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 truth of, uh, of of Christ in you and what that means as a believer he's challenged us to leave our old life behind a few weeks ago we we used this phrase we used this line kill the beast some of you were snickering because you were just thinking about disney movies and so on but but i, I understand but we're really talking about is like killing that old person in you that wants to rise up i don't know if any of you've had to say that i have had to several times say kill the beast Kill the beast. Kill the beast. Right? 
Paul's talked about what, what kind of new qualities we ought to live, live by, how we ought to clothe ourselves with love and, and so many other good qualities we talked about last week. How to thrive in relationships, we talked about that. And now here Paul gives us some, some insights on how to fulfill our purpose, our God-given purpose to make disciples, to make Jesus known. And if you're normal, let's say, you probably are not thinking about my purpose on a regular day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. You're just going about your business, doing your life. Now, we need to know what our purpose is, but I, I, I don't think you necessarily need to be thinking about constantly, okay, my purpose today is my purpose. If, if you've learned some good habits or qualities or, or characteristics or these kinds of things we're talking about here, if we learn these, you don't even need to really think about it because it's just going to be second nature, just what you do. The Holy Spirit will direct your life, direct your steps, direct your, your, your words and conversations so that you're fulfilling that purpose. But there's three things in here. Now, this is not an exclusive list. I get that. But there's three things in here that I think are going to be helpful to us. If you're taking notes today, there's an outline in your program. You can fill these things in. And we're three, three ways that we fulfill our purpose to make Jesus known. Three ways we're fulfilling our purpose to make Jesus known. The first one is this. It's in how you pray. It's in how you pray. In verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. How about you? But to me, that sounds very serious. Devote, alert, right? Thankful. And I, I'm humbled by stories I hear about. Well, I hear from you, from, from people in this church who talk to me about the way you pray and, and your commitment. You know, we have a, we have a prayer line that uh, you can get prayer requests put on that line. It also goes on our, our private Facebook page. You can be a part of that. And uh, people call in every day and they listen to the prayer requests and they're praying for those. Some of you have said, you know, I, I pray for you every day. I mean, you've told it to me. I, I, I just can't even tell you how humbling that is. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, that's, that's a powerful, devoted thing about prayer. So if you're one of those people, you know who you are. You know that developing a habitual Prayer life does not just happen. This does not just look like come naturally. For people like me who really grapple with, you know, attention issues and, and restlessness, man, it's especially hard. That focus is really, really tough. But I really like the guidance that Paul is giving us here. And there's three quick tips on prayer that he gives us right here. And these three, three, three things are this. It, it's about being ongoing intentional and thankful. We've talked a lot about thankfulness actually in the series, so we're not really going to dwell too much on that. That's a given, but some of the words in the other translations, uh, you know, um, the New Living Translation says devoted. Some translations say persevering in prayer, continuing in prayer, given to prayer. It's a sense of like an ongoing, consistent, yes, going for it repeatedly. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing that, that, that Paul's in here is this intentionality. Intentional is words that are used in some translations, watchful. NLT says, an alert mind, really paying attention to what's going on. And then thankfulness. Devoted to prayer would, would mean we ought to do more than just talk about prayer. Have you ever been in a, in a prayer meeting where we say, we're going to have a prayer meeting. And then we talk and talk about the request for a long time. We talk about all the things we should pray about. And we talk and talk. And then, well, we ought to pray. We have five minutes left. And then one person says a nice old prayer. We say, we had a prayer meeting. I'm telling you, that's not really a prayer meeting. That was a coffee, 
session. Hopefully it wasn't a gossip session. And, and, and you had a nice time catching up on the news and somebody closed in prayer. When we're, when we're invited into a group prayer setting, it would be great to pray. Uh, we are on a little break right now, but through the year we have a couple different prayer meetings. A third Sunday of the month, there's still an ongoing prayer meeting called Prayer for Prodigals. And when they get together, they pray. They pray. Thursday mornings at 11, and when we're on during the season, we, we get together and we pray. Not for a long time, we just pray. If someone asks you for prayer, here's a tip. If someone says, hey, would you pray for me? I've got a, you know, I've got a big interview. I got, or I got a, you know, I've got a, um, I've got to talk to my boss. I, I, I've got to, you know, I've got to go to the doctor this week. Would you pray for me? You know, it'd be great rather than say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then we walk away and forget. What would be really great to say, you know what? I could pray for you right now. Quick, short, brief, to the point, on the spot. That would be, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Devoted to prayer. Doesn't have to be flowery or fancy or, or, or expansive or elaborate. Devoted to prayer. Let's just pray right there. Intentional means that we're praying with direction. I wonder if you ever think about your words when you pray. Do you ever imagine what it would be like to be in God's place hearing your prayer? I've thought about that sometimes. I, I think God must say, Son, what are you actually asking me for right now? Because you're a little vague. Right? I mean, if we just pray, Lord, keep me safe, and, and Lord, be with so-and-so, I don't think that's really getting anywhere. Isn't the Lord already with us all the time? Isn't he already present with that person you're praying for? I think he wants us to be specific. He wants us to be intentional. Lord, here is what I'm praying for my friend, my family member, my coworker, my neighbor. I mean, what if we learn to pray in an ongoing, intentional, deliberate, you know, thankful way? I wonder what impact that would have on our purpose of making disciples in our community and from our community to the world. So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to practice right now. We're going to practice right now. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. A few weeks ago, uh, Ricky Sanchez was here from uh, Thailand and he had you all praying out loud at the same time. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to give you a moment to just pray quietly in your own space. If you want to pray out loud, that's fine. And here's what I want you to do. In keeping with your purpose, I want you to visualize somebody in your life. Or it might be several people in your life. But I want you to visualize somebody in your life that your desire is for them to either come to faith in Christ or to return to the Lord. They've wandered and you, you your desire is for them to come back. Remember, our purpose is to make Jesus known. In the quietness of your own place right now, I just want you to be thinking of that person. Do you have that person in mind? Do you know somebody? If you yourself are in a position where you're just a seeker, where you're just thinking about this, where you're just checking it out, where you don't know if you have a relationship with the Lord yet, you're, you're, you're just exploring the faith, this is a good moment for you just to talk to God and say, God, if you're real, I, I think I need to know it. So that's your, that's your prayer assignment. For the rest of us, think about that person and I just, I'm just going to give you a quiet moment now. And I want you to be lifting them up that the Lord would, in His way, reveal His presence to them, reveal His truth and His invitation to them in their life. Can you do that right now?
prayers to be ongoing, intentional, thankful. What a good habit. Paul makes a couple of prayer requests of his own in here as well. You see it in verses 3 and in verse 4. This bold, outspoken, you know, all-star evangelist asks the Colossians to pray for him too. That's amazing. He prays, pray that I'll have opportunities. Pray that I'll have clarity, the right words to speak when those opportunities come. Paul does not ask for comfort or safety or provision. He's in prison and he's praying that he'll have the opportunity to share his faith. I, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison, chained up, right? What would be your prayer request? Pray that I get out of this place. The food is terrible. And I, I can't move my arms, right? That's what I would pray. But no. Pray that I have opportunities. Paul, you are in prison. Yep, I want opportunities to share my faith. And I want to have the clear, clear words when, when that opportunity comes. That is an amazing, amazing thing that he does. And I, I say there's at least two takeaways from Paul's prayer request. First, it should encourage us that even if the super apostle Paul can ask for prayer, we could, we could ask for prayer too. I love that we are able to make prayer, uh, prayer team available for you week by week. I'm not trying to coerce you or pressure you or anything, but I just want you to know that we have people who would love to pray with you every Sunday when you gather and just say, hey, I just need prayer. I'm, I'm just tired or man, I've got this concern. And second, it points out that we would do the, do well to pray these same things for ourselves, that we ought to be praying for opportunities to share our faith and, and clarity of words when that time comes. So instead of just praying for a safe drive and nice weather, why not pray for opportunities to share and for clear words when those opportunities come? So we fill our, fulfill our purpose in how we pray. Paul also knows that we can live out our purpose in how we live. Verse 5 says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Live wise and make the most of every opportunity. What does it mean to live wisely? What does that mean, I wonder? What does it mean to make the most of every opportunity? Wouldn't it come down to living by character and, and, and living by principles Rather than just living by rules and regulations? What does it mean to live wisely and make the most of every opportunity? Instead of saying, I do this. I debated whether I should share a story with you. I'm going to share a story that's personal. Some of you are going to think I did the wrong thing. Or in fact, I'm not going to tell you what I did. But some of you are going to question my telling of this story. Well, early part of, uh, right at the beginning of the year two, 2001, we, uh, we were planting a church. We bought a house. In fact, I forgot I was going to show you a picture of the house. But uh, we lived on this street um, where every house was new. And uh, we were all putting in our grass, our sod on our driveways. My driveway was at about a 25% grade. It was really steep. And uh, so it was always hard work working in our front yards to try to make sure you didn't fall over and roll down into the street. And um, my neighbor... It's going to put in sod, and I offered to help. So I helped the neighbor on a hot day laying sod. I don't know if you've ever laid sod before. It's fun. It's exciting. You get to see the instant yard, right? 
So everybody on my street, I mean, new church plant, new church planter, everybody knows that I'm a pastor. This is in Canada where they don't understand that I have at this point in my life, I have chosen to not drink alcohol as a leader of that church fellow, it would be inappropriate for me to do that. However, this is Canada, and everybody drinks beer, and they don't really think twice about that. So it's a hot day. We've worked hard. We get it all done. We're standing on the sidewalk, sweating like, wow. His wife comes out with a couple of beers. Says, thank you so much for helping us. Now, my personal rule at this point is, I'm not partaking. What's the wise thing to do for relationship? What would you do? I'll let you decide on your own. And <laughs> Now, that's not a license for getting drunk. I, 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 God has blessed me where I'm not, I, I, at this point in my life, I've not, you know, I don't participate in AA. We host AA on our campus because I love what they do and I believe in what they accomplish. I, there's no license here for, for, for drinking, for drunkenness. But I'm presenting a scenario to you that says, what is the wise thing to do for the cause of relationships so that we can lead people to Jesus? And, and it's not necessarily even going to be the same response for every person. But we're to live wisely and make the most of every opportunity. You know, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any number of years, there's a good chance that your life has become pretty insulated from unbelievers. Ever feel like that? That all your friends and all your contacts and everybody you know is already a Christian and they're all in the church and you see the same faces all the time. You're here most Sundays. Your kids are in Awana Wednesday nights. You Sunday lunch with your church friends and you attend a connection group or a Bible study. How on earth are you going to live wisely and make the most of every opportunity among unbelievers? How are you going to do that? You don't even know any. That's, that's my life. My whole world is the church. Smart people who write commentaries about this kind of stuff say that Paul's challenge to make the most of every opportunity is the language of the marketplace. It really comes from a phrase that means to sell out completely. If you're in the market and you completely sell out all your goods or you completely buy in on on a product, that's what Paul's talking about here when he says make the most of opportunity. Sell out completely to this idea of living wisely among your neighbors. In the everyday of our lives, then, even the most basic of interactions become an opportunity with friends and with strangers. So, this passage, needless to say, has been bugging me all week. Because I can hide behind the podium, I can hide behind my Bible, I can hide on stage and say, well, I proclaim the gospel every week. I'm, I'm already doing this, so I'm done, I'm off the hook. But what about the middle of the week? What about Starbucks or at the gas station or, or on my street? Am I, am I living wisely and maximizing opportunities? I bumped into a kid here earlier this week and I was leaving late after a meeting and there was a 15 year old kid by himself walking through the parking lot with a basketball and was trying to figure out how to get through over to GB3, the new GB3. Cause it looks like a road coming through here, so it should be a shortcut. He was tr- trying the fence and looking for a gate and, Pretty confused and frustrated and I said, uh, 
You need help? He goes, oh, I'm trying to get to GB3. I said, oh, I'll give you a ride. Okay. Gets in my car. He says, you know, you're not supposed to take rides from strangers, right? <laughs> yeah, but this seemed like a pretty nice place. <laughs> His family's part of the, one of the mosques in town. His name's Mohammed. Nice kid. Making the most of every opportunity. Reminding them that God loves them. He's welcome here anytime. We need to live wisely and make the most of every opportunity that comes. It speaks to how we do business at work. It speaks to our conduct on the ball field. It speaks to our behavior in the checkout line at the grocery store. It speaks to how you're going to treat the waitress at lunch today when you go out for your for your free lunch. Or, or this, if your reputation is as someone you lose your cool, or you or you treat your spouse with disdain, or you your your defensiveness or disregard, we talked about those last week. If any of those things are true, then you're not living wisely, and you're not making the most of every opportunity. Opportunities might be more abundant than we realize. Remember, Paul's in chains. How about you having a bad day at work? How you treat people in the midst of that is an opportunity to live wisely and reflect the presence of Christ. Is your car in for repairs again? Your attitude and your actions in the shop. That's an opportunity to live wisely. Even something as troubling as a bad health diagnosis is an opportunity. How are you going to use that as a way and as a time to demonstrate what faith and what peace look like. And then how we live flows inseparably into the third way that we make Christ known, and that's how we speak. How we speak. Again, Paul has three more quick tips on speech. You see that there in verse 6. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for any, everyone. This word attractive that our translation uses is literally seasoned with salt or given with salt. S- not, not salty language. <laughs> seasoned language. Seasoned with salt. Jesus talked about salt. You might remember that. He said, you're the salt of the earth. Salt is a, is a preserving agent. It's a seasoning. It's a flavor. It's a, it's a substance that, that we use every day and has all those good applications to it. Salt is also a disinfectant. You can read and there's a passage in the Old Testament where, where it describes that the birth of a baby that, that isn't, hasn't been rubbed in salt. Newborns were rubbed with salt to disinfect them and, and cleanse them. But there's a greater significance to salt that we often don't talk about. The Old Testament uses a phrase, covenant of salt. A covenant of salt. The first mention of it is in Leviticus chapter 2. It's an instruction that they're to add salt to the grain offering. The grain offering was an offering that was brought to support the priests and the Levites to, to provide their food. And a small portion of the grain offering was burnt as, an, as a fragrance before the Lord. Altar before the Lord. Grain offering, sometimes called a cereal offering as well. And that salt... There's a couple more examples of covenant of salt in the Old Testament. That salt was to serve as a reminder of God's agreement, God's covenant, to save his people by his favor, by his grace, not by their own effort. 
And then the grain offering in particular ought to be a reminder that Jesus called himself the bread of life. And every time, for example, that we go to communion and we break the bread, we're reminded that Jesus' very body was broken for us. That too is a covenant of salt. God's reminder that I've saved you by my grace. I've offered my mercy to you by grace through your faith. And so when we're to season with salt, what are we doing? We're, we're being reminded and reminding others of the grace of God. The agreement that God saves by his goodness, not by yours. That's the covenant of salt. God, the agreement that God's made. And it reminds us every time. That's why breaking bread is so important. How amazing. Something as simple as salt in your language can help to remind people that they're not condemned, but they're loved by God. Your words can remind them that God has reached to them out of his mercy and his favor, not pushing them away. That's what it means to say, let your language be seasoned with salt, attractive, and timely. Just listening and speaking and not speaking as the Lord directs. Because your tongue has the power of life and death. Did you know that? How you speak can cut someone apart or it can build them up. A word, a phrase, a sentence, a paragraph can have completely life-giving or or terrifyingly destructive results. So here's another little assignment. As you gather at your lunch table today, I want you to apply this test. Is our conversation gracious? Is it seasoned or attractive? Is it timely? Is it making it possible for others to know Jesus more? Whether it's the people at your table or the ones overhearing you. Because it could be critical talk, negative, complaining, gossipy, trivial. doesn't have to be. It's okay to talk about your vacations. It's okay to talk about how good the steak is. If you have steak for lunch, invite me. That sounds good. Right. But every interaction is a possibility of making Christ Jesus known just that little bit more. Because people are listening to you, even if they're just overhearing, eavesdropping. My wife says I do that a lot. Oh, and I do. I love it so much. But you don't disciple each other well when it's negative talk. Instead, when you speak life-giving words that are gracious, that are seasoned, that are timely, you usher people into the very presence of God. Give life. Paul wanted his readers to take take hold of their God-given purpose to make Jesus known. And we're the same. We're no different. We're the same. We have the same instructions, the same invitation, the same responsibility. We pursue that purpose in the way we pray, in the way we live, the way we speak. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... You, you haven't left us alone and you haven't left us without instruction and guidance how to do the very things that you've called us to do. Lord, I, I want to grow in these areas. I want to grow in 
my ability to pray. I want to grow in my ability to live wisely. Lord, I want to grow in my, my ability to speak in a way that's gracious, timely. Lord, I need your help. Every one of us does. Lord, I ask that even as, as we head into this week, that you'd be stirring us up into, into a greater desire to make you known. Lord, we'd recognize those opportunities when they come and we'd have the clarity to speak the words that we want to speak when that time comes, just as the Apostle Paul prayed. And church, as you're just thinking about these things, I just hope you, you understand that this is an invitation, not a, not a compulsion. That God's inviting you to live in a way that's kind and gracious. He's not, he's not forcing you into something against your will. And if you're somebody here today who you don't know Jesus personally, you never, you've never come to that place of yielding or surrendering your life to Him, I want to let you know today you could do that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a place of surrender or yielding. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I trust you to forgive me and I'll follow you all the days of my life. When you, when you come to that place of, of surrender or yielding to God, He, He says He will give you a new life. He will make you a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Maybe you're somebody you've been waiting for a long time for the old to go and the new to come and today could be your day. If you're saying, yes, I would, I want to follow Jesus, would you, would you just have the courage to talk to me after the service? I'd love to help you with that. God, we just invite you to just to do your work by your Holy Spirit. Just to gently point out places where we need to make some corrections and, and how we speak and how we live. And, and replace that with a desire to please you in all things. We thank you for your great presence here. In Jesus name. Amen.